This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with the Robin Mob, or Robert Love, and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. Uh, good afternoon, Rob. I think this is episode... Is this episode 45? It's about episode 45, yes. So, so sooner, sooner, very soon, in fact, we'll have more episodes than, than we are years old. I, I don't want to say quite how soon that will be. But, uh, you know. It is rapidly approaching, though. <laughs> and we're very excited because today... I can't say that he's sitting in our green room because we don't have one. In fact, he's just sitting opposite the table. We have a special guest today. We have uh, Barry, who has come from the um, Australian-American Civil War Roundtable. Barry Crompton, welcome to Confederate Pirates thank Save the Whales. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Mob. It's a pleasure to be here. And may I say that you should receive the applaudits of every naval buff in the world for doing this for the last 44 weeks with about another six or eight weeks to go. You have done a remarkable job. Oh, thank you. Keep on going for another 30 or 40 minutes. I, 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 I could listen to this all day. Well, it's been lots of fun. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's been, a, it's been an incredible journey so far. A learning experience. It has been a learning experience. Um, we found out uh, things about the Shenandoah and about the American Civil War we, we never knew. I think um, joining the uh, Australian-American Civil War Roundtable has been a great experience Ink. too. Ink. Ink. Yeah, the, um, we've all the been inked. The talks we've been to there have been fascinating as well. Yes. And uh, also we've got to meet you, which is a, a wonderful thing, because you are the fount of wisdom, I have Thank to you, say. Bob. Yes, I uh, quoted myself in... Uh, one of the books that has been published, uh-huh. much to my embarrassment, and uh, I guess it's surprising over the years that we have all learnt so much, and it's one of these things that we continue to learn new bits and pieces all the time. Well, you were actually mentioning that um, just recently a another diary of a crew member has come up. Has when appeared. we were doing our exhibition in January, there was an announcement on the internet that uh, one of the auction catalogues in America was having the diary memoir uh, the journal and photographs of one of the one of the officers off the Shenandoah Dabney Minor Scales who had died in uh, Tennessee and the journal had been passed through the family and was finally going to be um, sold to the public oh it's such a shame that 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 isn't out yet while that because last week of course we did the um you know uh, it was, actually, I think it was two weeks ago that Dabney Minor Scales was temporarily relieved of his watch. And, and gee, it would have been good to have the back and forth journals, journals of that. I, I think we're going to have to do, when that, when, that is, when that journal is finally published, I think we're going to have to do a very special uh, update episode <laughs> yes. of Shenandoah Down Under, whenever it might happen to be. And, so is uh, that a journal or is that a memoirs? It's a journal that was written on the spot and the... They had one page on show of the journal on the internet, which I managed to capture and enlarge and transcribe, and it was the last day that the Shenandoah was in Melbourne. Oh. Um, It was was a full page of his journal, and that in itself had 
bits in it that I had never known of before, so I, I assume that there's probably another 20 or 30 pages just on the Melbourne visit that I'm dying to get my hands on. Oh, wow. that, that's... Oh. So it's, it's, isn't it amazing that still 150 years later there's still uh, important primary sources that are still coming to light? We're learning something new all the time. Well, but I, I, think, and I, I think this is it, because again, um, a, a month or so ago... Um, when we were still going through Midshipman Mason's diary, and he was reading um, Sem's book uh, about being on the Alabama. And I think all of them thought, we're going to be the new Alabama. We want to write a book too. And uh, so that they were all doing doing research for their books aboard, aboard the Shenandoah. But, Oddly enough, uh, I was reading this morning the um, favourite at the moment, the James McPherson's Battle Cry of Freedom, which runs to 910 pages oh. or thereabouts, and there is not one mention of the Shenandoah in 910 oh. pages, and yet there's about half a dozen mentions of the Alabama. Oh well, that but... is very interesting because that is considered one of the definitive histories of oh, uh, the Civil War. He's made a huge amount of money and fame in the last 20 years since the book mm. has been published uh, because of his overall coverage of the Civil mm. War. And you know, I've actually read that book a long time ago, and uh, I can't. I can't remember the Shenandoah being mentioned because it wasn't, obviously. It, does, it actually takes about 300 pages just to get into the first battle of the Civil War. Uh, so he really does completely cover everything and anything, but the Shenandoah, in his eyes anyway, and that, that's one of the problems that we've always had, is that the Shenandoah was always being number two and number three. Well, it was number two among the Confederate Raiders, so, uh, you know. But it's, it's number one in our hearts. It certainly <laughs> is. And what would Australia have if we didn't have the Shenandoah? Well, yeah, in terms of the Civil War, we would have absolutely nothing. And, and look, now, um, we didn't have you in the green room this morning, although um, we, we are going to offer you some uh, some limes as a speaker's fee, so, so there will be something green. This, but... is, a, this is off uh, Rob's tree, by yes, the way. Yes, 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 uh, here in uh, beautiful uh, suburban Blackburn's house. But uh, you do have a green bag next to you, which you had a, a couple of the, the more recent books that have been published about the Shenandoah, because I, I, I think that there's been a bit of a flurry, a rather curiously timed flurry, but um, a, a couple of books have been, been published. Obviously, being the 150th anniversary of the Shenandoah's visit, there's been a, um, the Shenandoah's cruise, there's been a flurry of, of enthusiasm in the last 12 months or so. Uh, there was one published earlier in the year, uh, in January or thereabouts, um, the Last Confederate Ship at Sea by Paul Williams, who's a local author in Muralbark, mm -hmm. who has written a book on the Shenandoah, which is uh, published by McFarland of North Carolina. And uh, so that would normally get sales in America, although it is available on Kindle, Amazon in Australia, if you want to download mm -hmm. a, a copy of it. And in July this year, uh, the local Australian publisher, Random House um, Penguin Books, has issued a new one called Australian Confederates by Terry Smith, or mm. Smythe, who is a Sydney journalist. Now, 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 do the traditional, hold them up to the microphone and riffle them. In yes. full colour. <laughs> yes. Uh, Terry Smythe's book is a total of 371 pages with uh, photographs, illustrations, uh, maps, diagrams, charts and... Bibliography, indexes, etc. is very good. However, Australian Confederates uh, in itself is probably a mistitle because uh, it says how 42 Australians joined the rebel cause and fired the last shot in the American Civil that's War. The, that's the tagline. <laughs> that's the tagline on the front cover. The very strange front cover because it has crossed flags 
One of which being uh, the Stars and Bars. Yes. And the other being the Australian flag, which didn't actually exist until 1901, no. which is mm. a bit weird. Mm. But and anyway. he also says in the book or so that he called the Confederate flag the Stars and Bars, which uh, was actually the first national flag that... Uh, was a uh, seven or thirteen stars in a circle, mm. and then um, blue, white, blue uh, stripes on the flag, and that was uh, changed in eighteen sixty-two during the course of the war to the second national flag, which is what we know mm-hmm. more of the battle flag. Um, so he, he's uh, he's at least attempted something. I've seen copies of the book in all of the bookstores around Melbourne. Mm. Whether it was on uh, a consignment of uh, a sell or return, I don't know. He's been featured on radio interviews on the ABC, mm-hmm. and there was an article in the Melbourne Australia in the Melbourne Age newspaper on Saturday, September the fifth, mm. where the uh, journalist interviewed both Terry Smith, the author of Australian Confederates, and Paul Williams, the last Confederate ship at sea. Yes, well, we're going to have to. I was hoping that after that uh, that uh, uh, article was in the age, that we we get a bump in 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 listeners because people would, would search for Shenandoah and get us. So I haven't quite checked that because it was only last Saturday. But hopefully, hopefully, they're going to get a bump. So just despite the fact that they, they've got the crossed flags, now I think the other the other reason it might be a bit of a misnomer is that, that while these forty two people were in Melbourne. I think, I think there's quite some doubt that they were, in fact, Australian. The reference that I've done of, of the research so far in my years of doing all of this is that, as far as I know, there weren't 42 Australians. Australians as such weren't really known by that term. They were mm. colonials mm. from Victoria, colonials from New South Wales, colonials from Tasmania, etc. But as far as I've been able to understand, there was really only been one locally born uh, member of that crew, and that was uh, William Kenyon, who was... Uh, born mm. in Sorrento, uh, Victoria. Mind you, I, I have to say, I think back in those days, the, the great majority of people living in Australia were, were immigrants. So I, I guess if you were here, you had some claim to be. Particularly the fact that the Australian that the uh, Australian gold rushes, 1851-1852, meant that most, I think, Australia's population grew from thousands to hundreds of thousands within the space of five years mm, mm, um, mm. Melbourne prior to the gold rush was was a couple of thousand people well Melbourne was itself was only founded in 1835 yes uh, and there was only a couple of hundred people there. yes I believe it was, it was something of a backwater for quite for quite some yeah. time yeah. almost almost literally yeah. but I, I can see why it would be called uh, Australian Confederates and would have that uh, strap line on it and indeed the cover because you want it you want someone to if you want to sell a book in case. Australia you want someone to buy it and oddly enough another a Sydney journalist wrote another book um, which which came out by the same company only a month prior to that. Which was about the um, the CSS. Um, the mind's gone blank now. It was a fictional book, also on the Confederate Navy, and that that was in the bookshops as well as mm. a paperback. And considering the fact that uh, Cyril Pearl's book of Rebel Down Under, which came out in 1970, was really the first pub, uh, which I can published. also riffle in front of the microphone. <laughs> I have a copy here. That's a hardbound, and in those days, 1970, a hardbound was the way that you wanted to uh, publish. Terry Smith, unfortunately, has only been made available as a paperback for about $35. Right. Um, but Cyril Pearl's book, unfortunately, both of these are not what they should be. Both of them 
uh, were done for the for the uh, vast majority of the public and really needed to be done as a better um, a better sort of a history rather than a, a well, general. As reason. an academic text, we've got Angus Curry's book, of course. And there's a new one coming out in the Naval Institute Press at Annapolis, Maryland, in December uh, on the on the the Shenandoah, written by uh, an academic, which. I've had uh, the ability to read it, and I guarantee that is the book to buy. It's brilliant. Oh, okay, okay. Can you remember his name? Uh, not off the top of my head. I've got a <laughs> copy of it, but I haven't got a copy in paper. That's okay. We can do a, a, an, an, an amendation, an edition, yes. uh, as, as we do. Well, uh, Angus Curry's book, and that was that was published last Marty, year? Uh, 2005. 2005? Oh, and okay. The crews, the the officers off the CSS, officers Shenandoah, of the CSS Shenandoah, and that yeah. is that is certainly the book to know if you want to know anything about the officers. Angus's book is remarkably good. It's about three hundred and fifty pages, uh, and again, it was only published in the U.S. by the University Press of uh, Florida, mm-hmm. um, and recommended retail price was about U.S. fifty dollars. So to get copies imported to Australia, you're looking at virtually hundred dollars a copy. Oh my God, that's that's piracy <laughs> on the high seas. <laughs> on the high seas. Okay, so um, okay, so so Smith's book, you're you're giving uh, you're giving one thumb up. Okay, you're obviously not giving two thumbs up, will you? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Pass. <laughs> okay. And, and there's there's another one. Is that um, the Paul other Williams. one which we have is Paul Williams's, who is uh, the Merrill Bark uh, author, who's written the last Confederate ship at sea, the Wayward Voyage. Of the CSS Shenandoah, October eighteen sixty four to November eighteen sixty five. Paul is an ex writer. He's written children's programs um, for the ABC in yeah. Australia. He wrote a book called um, uh, in nineteen ninety five, uh, the Shenandoah Affair. That was a novel. Which was a novel. Yes. And then he did a second edition of that a few years later. This is. Uh, Roughly a lot of the same information, but presented more as a history book with maps and illustrations. So this is the um, this is the theory or the thesis that says that Captain Waddell had a uh, an affair a, with Mrs. A Nichols, affair with the wife of one of the captains of one of the whale ships that they captured. that was captured before they they got to Melbourne. Yes. Now, now, can I just say that um, on the movie of the Shenandoah, this absolutely has to happen because otherwise there is no romance. But so so so. so Leaving aside for the start, the fact of whether it did or did not happen, the, the movie absolutely you know, needs to have a, it, a female. It, it needs to have a female. Although, so, according to the article that was written in the Age uh, on Saturday, September the fifth, there could be traces of uh, Shenandoah DNA in Australia. Um, oh. I would, I would, I would assume that could be the case. Given, uh, <laughs> let us just say the the merry time that the officers had, and the Buccaneers ball up at Ballarat and a few other places. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I get the um, especially from Mason, who seems to be a fairly high minded young man. I got the impression that, that <laughs> yeah, when, when they when they got a lady's affection, they got a, a bit of a squeeze of the hand. Perhaps, but uh, but that, I, that I could be, be a wrong. euphemism. Wrong. I, <laughs> I suppose it was for the Beatles, wasn't it? So yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so to go back to the uh, the the romance um so your personal view is that this is very unlikely it's possible uh and terry smith the author of of australian confederates has also said that he didn't think it was um indicative of uh how things had occurred or so the only way that we really know about it from first-hand 
knowledge is from the um, from the uh, a book on the Shenandoah that, that was written and published the year after the uh, surrender in 1866 by Cornelius Hunt, one of the officers of the Shenandoah, who wrote a um, almost a, a bodice ripper of a book, uh, which was published very quickly afterwards. And so uh, hoping to cash in, no doubt. Yes, I think so. It was uh, published by a uh, by a, a book publisher in New York City. Uh, and so far, not a lot of the information that he has in the book is actually correct. Uh, he, he writes for three pages on the Buccaneers ball at Ballarat, and he wasn't even there. Well, yeah, but obviously, if you're publishing a book, you need to you need to have been at the Buccaneers ball. But I think that's a rather yeah rather bad indication as to the veracity. Now, I'm very much presuming that yep. this is a manuscript that we got from Sag Crowdhead that we um, that we've given a few quotations from. But uh... Uh, yes, and Cornelius Hunt was also the one who accused uh, Captain Waddell of uh, withholding money that was due to the uh, crew and the officers of the Shenandoah yes, after the surrender. He was unhelpfully um, spreading that rumour amongst the crew members last week. Yes, episode, last week, 150 years ago. they were going to get five cents in the dollar of what, yes. uh, what was owed. Yes. One shilling in the pound, and I think I very confidently asserted that that was 5%, because I said that there were 20 shillings in the pound. Would- is, now is that, I think that is correct. Yes. There are twenty because it's yes. twenty times twelve, so there's two hundred and forty pence in yes. the pound. So, but but going around and telling the men that is is, as I put in our Facebook post post about the episode, unhelpful even if true. Unfortunately, but, Cornelius Hunt uh, only lived a, a couple of years afterwards. Oh. Um, he uh, joined the the Egyptian army in the early eighteen seventies oh. as a part of the general exodus of uh, Civil War veterans both north and south and went over and fought for the Egyptian army and uh, died about 1872 falling off a horse and died as, as a result of what a strange end for a naval officer so we yeah. can't even ask him anything he uh, quite a few of the uh, army commanders of the Civil War were given quite a large amounts of money to go over and fight for the Egyptian army in one of its local um, uh, civil wars in the 1870s. Oh, wow. There's a very good book written in the 1950s, uh, Blue and Grey on the Nile. <laughs> and that actually gives us information about Cornelius Hunt. Wow. And they probably, and of course, they found themselves on the same side too. They did. Which is very interesting. That's how bizarre. Um, um, yeah, when we started out on this journey so many months ago, um, Little did we realize. I did not think that I would end up hearing about Cordelius Hunt dying by falling off a horse on the. Oh dear! Well, it, uh, I wish it. Look, given how quickly he published his book about the Shenandoah, even with with all of the mistakes in it, um, it's a pity he didn't get a, a, a quickie about uh, you know fighting fighting on the banks of the Nile. But um... but really, the result of all this is that he he was probably the first one who uh, succumbed in the officer class. So the others who did write their journals and had memoirs written in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, um, Waddell's own memoirs, uh, William C. Whittle, um, John Thompson Mason, etc., they've all been able to give a fairly normal cruise of the Shenandoah that uh, most people accept. So whether they, they, they all talked to each other and said, this is what we will say and this is how we will say it, 
and Hunt's uh, version in 1866 was uh, considerably at, at odds with everybody else. Well, he certainly um, doesn't spare his contempt for the captain, <laughs> does he? Yeah. Uh, um, and, and I think another thing, so I believe, yes, he makes the charge that the only reason that uh, Waddell wanted to go back to Liverpool was because there was money, uh, a secret agent in Liverpool had, had, had cash. Uh, but then he's going around saying that... Um, uh, that the crew aren't going to get paid their money. And I, I think the thing is, you, you can't really charge a captain for, for going back to Liverpool when you know, he's going to get money for the crew there. Well, that was a fascinating uh, interview with Barry Crompton, as as always. And j- just when you think that uh, you know he's come up with everything he can possibly say, there's um, more. Uh, uh, just 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 after we we, we, we finish that interview for for now, for now we'll have the second half next week. But he came up with uh, many more fascinating snippets. But um, look, um, I guess we now have to get up with what is the Shenandoah doing this week 150 years ago today the the second-ish week of September 1865 well they're heading down towards Cape Horn because of course they're circumnavigating the the globe they went round the Cape of Good Hope on the way to the whaling grounds and Australia now they're going to go round the Horn and they're down at nearly 50 degrees south, so it's a fair way down. So they've been through the roaring 40s, and yep. they're getting into the, um, <coughs> whatever the 50s are. Again. Frightful 50s. The frightful 50s. Um, but, uh, but, but that's, of course, correct, because Cape, of, uh, Cape Horn is much more further south than, than, than oh, the Cape way, of Good Oh, way, way, way lower, yes. yes, yes, yes. Which yes. is why the you know, various bits of Patagonia are very, very far south, and also why, while these days, you go to Antarctica via Argentina. Mm. Mm. In fact, uh, some of the earliest mariners wouldn't even go round the Horn because it was so dangerous and perilous. They'd go through the Magellan Strait because the island of Tierra del Fuego is an island at the bottom there, so you can actually sail through through this... uh, through this strait, which okay. is not quite as far south. But they're not quite there. They'll actually be going around the Horn next week. Spoilers. Yes. But uh, So there's been griping about the weather, of yes. course, and just general griping. Well, look, the, 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 this is becoming the podcast about griping. But um, can, I, can I offer up a, a bit of good news from, uh, from Surgeon Lining's uh, diary yep. from Sunday, <laughs> September the 3rd, 1865? Um, did calm today, did five miles in 24 hours. Um, that's not good news, but it does argue that they can't use their steam engine probably because they're about to try and sail halfway around the world. There's, there's two reasons why. Yes. One is, yes, they are trying to sail halfway <laughs> around the world without stopping anywhere or meeting anyone. Yes. And they kind of need to keep a reserve of coal in case a Union warship ever oh, comes. Oh, okay. So, so if, if, if they need to run, run, run. So they can hightail it and skedaddle. The other is they needed to preserve the coal because they had a machine on board yes. to condense um, fresh water out of salt. What an excellent machine. What a very steampunkish kind of machine. But let me guess, it needed coal. It Well, you needed to actually run the steam engine to condense yes. the water. Yeah. And uh, presumably that was for drinking purposes, but also don't forget the magnificent five flush toilets that are uh, yes. on board. Yes, yes. They would have needed water as well. And if they'd had showers, they probably would have needed that as well. Anyway, so... Um, 
Yes, yeah, sorry. Back to back to back to Mr. Lining. What's he? Uh, he's gone five miles in twenty-four hours. But what's 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 good? Well, uh, this is a report of somebody we haven't heard from a while. Mason inaugurated his catership by giving us a good dinner, for which occasion our last hog was offered up. So, Lining, uh, so so Mitch Mason is now no longer the the liquor caterer of the uh, the steerage deck. Of, of the, oh, he's been promoted. Giving liquor deck. He is now obviously the the steerage. Uh, Caterer and mm-hmm. and um, they've killed the last hog. Yes, okay. Well, we probably won't tell um, the sea shepherd about that because they're vegan. But um, now, now on Wednesday, Thursday, September six to seventh, eighteen sixty-five. This is probably what the doctor aboard, um, you know, should have done for Captain Queeg. Um, the captain's neck stiff, made chloroform liniment for it, and he makes some sad faces over the pain. I had him sitting up all day and shall give him a hot toddy tonight to put him to sleep. Oh, that's, I, that's very you know, nice. I he's looking after the captain. He's looking after the captain. And I think giving the captain a nice chloroform liniment rub and uh, and a hot toddy might, might make him feel better. And Knock him out. <laughs> well, I think that might be the idea. Friday, September the 8th, 1865, persuaded the captain to put the mainsail up. Oh, that that's like, you know. Saw her go at short 16 with the log fairly hove to, faster than I ever saw a ship go before. Captain asked me if I thought I could sleep with the top gallant sail and mainsail on her, and I told him I thought I could. Even he put the spanker on her. At night gave him a strong punch to put him to sleep. So I think the idea is to stop the captain coming up on deck and thinking that um, they're sailing too fast. And fretting. Surgeon Lining has prescribed alcohol, the wonder drug, to... to he appears just... to be knocking the captain <laughs> unconscious, yes. Well, and, and you know what, I, I, I can't necessarily say that, that that's a bad idea, you know, because uh, perhaps, perhaps that's exactly what the... What so the captain, so the captain is, uh, quite rightfully, if they're trying to sail uh, around the world back to England without being noticed or mm. stopping anywhere he is of course very very concerned about the state of the sails because if they they wreck the sails they're they they're can't screwed. get more but but now now can I just say so we started with Sunday September 3rd 1865 dead calm did five miles now Saturday September 9th 1865 where I think we, we might finish kept sail up at night Best run yet, 260 miles. Wow. So finally, after they've been halfway around the world and they're coming back, they're actually keeping the sails up, presumably with the with, with the watch smoking their, their hearts out. Or <laughs> yes. at least because well, the captain's safely unconscious downstairs. <laughs> smoking their hearts out while looking at the captain's letter saying, do not smoke on watch. And, uh, but... but They've done their, their their record their record sale and all's kind of right with the world. Although I have to say, if you look down a, a week or so to uh, Lining's diary, all oh, there's there's ructions and there's gossip and there's people arguing and uh, but but we will get onto that in a week or next two. week when we go round the horn. Round the horn, yes, and we'll we'll do a bit of uh, research on going round the horn. And of course, I, I promised research on the um, uh, icebergs that you would see go round the horn, but. Uh, Next week, we'll also have the second half of our interview with Barry Crompton, which was, uh, which was fascinating. And until then, uh, this has been Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirate Save the World with Rob and Mob. I was Rob. And I am still Mob. Okay. Tally-ho. And ahoy.